So tonight I would like to speak about renunciation. We hear that word and oftentimes we relate to the word renunciation as there being a sense of deprivation or uh, immediately evoking some kind of hunger. And yet, as we move through the practice, we actually begin to develop a great deal of appreciation when we hear this word. Because actually, renunciation has everything to do with freedom, has everything to do with lasting happiness, lasting joy. So I think in the beginning, when we hear this word, now that it's contracted, it's tight. I remember speaking about renunciation many years ago at CIMC, and it w- there were a huge number of people there. And I knew they weren't there because of the joy of renunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I knew they were there, just, you know, how could this be described in a way that, uh, you know, really has to do with the Buddhist teaching of happiness? The Buddha taught happiness, and the Buddha only taught. Um, out of compassion. So it makes no sense if renunciation has anything to do with deprivation, has anything to do with evoking hunger. And we begin to see more and more that it really is the secret of practice. We were joking around this morning about, you know, there must be a secret um, to the practice. And actually, there is. (laughs) And it's a secret just because we don't believe it, you know? It's, we hear, let go, let go, let go, let go, but we don't actually um, always believe it or think that we can do it or be able to put that together with happiness. You know, it doesn't always go together. We think letting go, we're going to have to let go of that which is dear to us, of that which is precious to us, of that which, which makes sense to us and, and is of meaning to us. And actually, the greater meaning of renunciation is what we are invited to do, not commanded to do, not at all. What we are invited to do is to renounce suffering. And this is the meaning of renunciation. The problem is that we don't always know where suffering lies. And so our tendency is to grasp onto angst, grasp onto suffering, and not really know what to do about it. Renunciation is very much based on wisdom and investigation, looking at what creates happiness, what creates suffering. Oftentimes we take fantasy as being a lasting refuge. Sometimes we take pleasure for happiness. We're willing to take pleasure over happiness. And as we begin to look and see more deeply, it becomes easier to let go. It becomes easier to renounce suffering because we see what the results are. Every time there is a moment of mindfulness, there is renunciation. Now, it's not such a big deal. It's not a big leap over anything into anything. Every time there is a moment of mindfulness, there is a letting be. 
There is an acceptance of things as they are, and there is a letting go. Mindfulness is non-clinging. It's being with things exactly as they are, without trying to push anything away, without trying to hold on to anything, without identifying with what's happening. So instead of perpetuating something like fear or something like anger, when there is mindfulness, we can see it, we can accept it, and we can let it go in its own way, in its own time, without needing to push it away. Mindfulness is a non-perpetuation of suffering. That could be a good definition. I kind of just made it up, but it's, it's good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> a non-perpetuation of suffering. Letting it die out quite naturally on its own. Because when there is mindfulness, there is a non-identification with energies as being who we are. There's a non-identification with energies as being how things are. And so there's much more of a fluidity. There's much more spaciousness. There's much more room. Because we can sit and be with whatever energies happen to be occurring in the present moment. When we sit, we know that a lot of different things happen. And sometimes it's very, very, very difficult to sit with oneself. But when we sit with mindfulness, when we sit with presence, then whatever energy is occurring, we can see as arising and passing away as not solid and as not who we are. So we see that the energies do not need to define us. They don't need to imprison us. They don't need to box us in. We can welcome, we can accept, and we can let these energies go on their own, in their own way, when there is presence, when there is mindfulness. Renunciation, as well, is actually an expansion. And when we hear the word, we think limitation. But actually, letting go is expanding. It's letting go of the particular to be able to experience and open to the totality of life. It's letting go of one particular aspect that we think is absolutely essential for well-being in order to widen our perspective and to live in the midst of life instead of so much picking and choosing. Renunciation or letting go has everything to do with expansion because we are letting go of our preoccupations. Now we're noticing what is occupying the mind. We, we sit here, we move through the day, and various elements of life, various difficulties, various excitements, various plans, various regrets, occupy the mind. And we make up story after story after story about what it all means. So it's kind of like we're going through the day with a very heavy head. You know, the head feels quite weighty. This is one reason why we're emphasized resting within the body, so that at least it gets you know, moved around, so it's not all stuck in one place. 
But we're letting go of a small-mindedness of this occupying the mind so that we can see things more clearly, so that we can embrace more of life and live, actually live in more of life. And so we're letting go of the small things that seem so big when we're caught in them, you know, definitely seem so big when we're caught in them. But risking letting go, risking uh, allowing preoccupations to be let go of allows for a spaciousness, allows for a lightness, an inner lightness. And we can see what is necessary and what is unnecessary. What is this whole weight about? That which seems so important in the morning, in the afternoon, loses its importance, doesn't it? I mean, we may notice that we're so preoccupied with one particular subject, and then later in the day, it changes. Either we can hold it a little bit more lightly, it's the same content, but we're holding it more lightly, or actually, it's changed entirely. Now, we have to question this. Mm. And so when we find ourselves really caught up, really preoccupied, it's a very, very gentle letting be, letting go, and experiencing more of life. Not contracting, not limiting ourselves, but seeing if we can experience more of life rather than less. We see that in letting go. Our defenses are let go of as well. We find that there is a vulnerability, a softness, an availability to life. We're not quite as rigid We're not holding on quite as tightly. And we begin to see when there is mindfulness that our habits are quite confining. Our habits of mind are are patterns of mind that seem so comforting and so secure and, you know, we have to hang on to them because they're, they're what makes our life safe. When there is mindfulness, when there is a letting go, a letting be, we can begin to see the prison that our habits keep us in, and we can begin to experiment. Letting go is not, there's not a formula around it. It's not a recipe. It's really experimenting with something like a habit and seeing if we do something slightly different, what opens up. That which we think we have to have, have to keep going with, have to continue with, When we experiment with letting it go, what actually happens? And we can work with our habits in this way. We can work with patterns of mind in this way. Of course, letting go, renunciation, is an inner quality, but it's always important to look at the material world as well. You know, we're always looking at everything in practice and not negating anything. And nothing wrong with owning or having possessions, nothing at all. And at the same time, looking at whether we're caught by what we have, you know, if our possessions own us, in other words, to just look at this dimension, not from the viewpoint of what somebody else says or how we think we're being perceived or anything along these lines, 
really from the viewpoint of simplification, of simplifying our life, looking at what is necessary in order for there to be a peaceful life, a joyful life, to see if we are holding on to a whole lot that is unnecessary and to see whether it's a burden or not. I was in a a cab in um, Boston some years ago, and um, the cab driver uh, was giving me a ride, but um, he was very worried about giving me a ride because he had a, a rug at home, a Turkish rug at home, and he said that he had to stay home with the rug because uh, he was so afraid that it was going to be taken or stolen that um, he gave me the cab ride, but it seemed like it was like once in a while and the rest of the time home with the rug. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> where you, you, would, you would think that income has to come in and that would be an important part of a life. Um, so it was interesting, though, to see the, the fear, the paranoia that someone was going to actually come in the window and steal this rug, <laughs> this, this whole kind of idea about it. So I actually, I felt bad about the cab. I, you know, I got out early so he could get back to the rug. <laughs> we also, you know, this renunciation really is an inner quality. So we may have nothing and we may be hanging on to nothing. And this is very, very easy to do too. It's very easy to get this idea that the spiritual life is a life in which we're not supposed to have anything at all. And then to hang on to that idea of having nothing and develop a great deal of pride about it or a great deal of attachment to it, which is really not the spirit of practice. There's all these stories, of course, of um, monks getting attached to their one bowl or you know the color of their robe or, or this or that. And I know when I've been in... Uh, monastery situations where you really don't have much of anything, um, it's so easy to get attached to that one meal a day, you know, or if you don't get a good dessert at night, it's a really a problem or, you know, whatever it might be. So it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, to see that, that it's not about the particulars, although the particulars, of course, always need to be examined, <clears throat> but it's about the inner um, holding, the inner clinging that really crowds the mind, leaves not much space. And then in the seeing of it, in the letting go, space is there once again, because space is always there. It's not something that we have to make happen. It's inwardly always available to us. We're not, um, just to touch the area of relationship, um, because sometimes when we hear about letting go or we hear about renunciation, we think we're supposed to be renouncing relationship, um, which is really a, a, you know, a problem for one's family, particularly, or, <laughs> you know, um, really does cause more havoc than anything else. It's not renouncing relationship. It's announcing the attachment that we may have to thinking that someone belongs to us or should do what we want them to do um, or that we can control in some way. That's really where the renunciation comes in. And it's nothing more than that. 
sometimes after a three-month course, someone will come out and say, oh, now I have it, I'm going to, you know, leave my family. And it's, you know, this is not a good idea. This is, um, you know, this is bad use of one's time, really, if you come out uh, thinking that you're going to leave your family. Um, this is, you know, a false renunciation, as, as Maharaj Nisargadatta said, you cannot renounce. You may leave your home and give trouble to your family, but attachments are in the mind and will not leave you until you know your mind in and out. First things first, know yourself and all the rest will come with it. Yeah? And that's where mindfulness comes in and is so important because we're knowing ourselves and then we're letting go. We're knowing ourselves. We're knowing all corners of the mind. We're becoming less and less intimidated by what it is that we see within. And then we can see, ah, why hang on to this? What happens when I let go? And then it's a very smooth process. It's very, very different than having a spiritual idea about what renunciation means. <clears throat> One area that we may want to look at, and this is a really being on retreat is a very, very good situation in which we can examine our attachment to pleasure. Um, notice that I didn't say uh, we need to renounce pleasure. It's really renouncing the attachment to pleasure that is really important. If we try to renounce pleasure itself, it's, it's really nonsensical and you know, it's, it doesn't make any sense at all. There can easily be a rejection or an aversion to that which is naturally arising. Yeah. I mean, the idea is to open to pain and to open to pleasure as well, and to open to neutrality as well. Really to be with pleasure, pain, and neutrality with a balanced mind. But certainly not to renounce pleasure. But as well, to look at our relationship to pleasure is certainly a really important part of looking at this arena of letting go, of renunciation. Because we may find that there are ways that we are enslaved by desire, that we are enslaved by the yearning for pleasure. When we see that it's not going to really bring us what we want, you know, we get something and then we just want something else, and we can see that happening all the time. We can investigate the attachment to pleasure. We can investigate pleasure itself. We can look to see, does it last? Does it actually last? Can it last? Is it the same as lasting happiness? Yeah. And, and really looking at the question of, can it last? And if one discovers this, then you know this would be very interesting. Um, but to investigate on one's own if it's possible for it to last. Because this is where dharma is always living in harmony with the way things are. And so if we see for ourselves it's not possible, it comes and it goes, then we may be able to be more equanimous and open and sensitive when pleasure occurs without having to try to make it last when it won't, it can't, it's not its fault. You know, it's not to blame pleasure. It's not to blame life. It's not to blame oneself. You know, if I could just do it differently, then I could make pleasure last. It's not possible for any human being. 
on retreats, you know, food does tend to be a great area of uh, attachment to pleasure. And it's kind of a killer because, you know, how much happiness can, lasting happiness, can one find in a carrot? You know, it, it, it's, it's so impermanent. It, it's, it's so kind of agonizingly impermanent. And that's why retreats are actually a good area in which to see this, is because you can't just go in the kitchen for yourself or, um, or you know, have the usual areas that we're used to. And so it does help us to look a little bit differently, to um, examine these things a little bit differently. Of course, um, some of us uh, are very attached before we get on retreat. This is a, a letter that was written to Tofu Roshi. Dear Tofu Roshi, is there a gourmet guide to spiritual practice places? My wife and I need to know, in choosing our path, where we can get our dietary needs met. I have heard of Zen centers where peanut butter is the mainstay of every meal, but we are more interested in something in the Nouvelle Cuisine line. Radicchio, Chantereau, layers, that sort of thing. When you give up all your ordinary activities, food becomes even more important than usual, and that's saying something. My wife and I wish to spend our summer vacation on a long retreat. I am overweight, and I hope to lose pounds but gain insights, about 20 of each. My wife, who is very slim, is allergic to wheat and milk. I should perhaps add that neither of us is enthusiastic about the idea of eating seaweed, and we wonder if people have been able to get enlightened without it. <laughs> One more thing. Cooked carrots make me gag. What do you recommend for us? Signed, Ori OK. Dear Ori, do not make false distinctions. Food is Buddha. We are Buddha. When we eat, we eat ourselves. Your hair is seaweed. Your legs are carrots. Do you not like your, egg, your legs? Eat your legs raw. You are what you eat, so is your wife. <laughs> so, we may not be this extreme. <laughs> However, looking at the different elements of life and noticing, if it's like getting water out of a stone, yeah? If we're trying to get water out of a stone, a stone can't offer that to us. It's the same way with that which comes and goes. Again, it's not its fault. It's not the fault of life. It's how things are. And if we can learn to live more in harmony with how things are, then there will be less suffering. It's really just like that. With understanding impermanence, there is a natural inclination to go to let go, a natural relaxation that can occur. Suzuki Roshi said, renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but accepting that they go away. Renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but accepting that they go away. And this is a very peaceful way to be, a very peaceful way to live, you know, accepting that they go away. That's what I mean about not trying to get water out of a stone when the stone can't offer it. Really accepting more and more how things are. It's a dropping away, a relaxation. It's almost as if the hand is very tight, very clenched, very held, and we think that that's normal. And then letting go, letting be, is really just simply a relaxing. It's not like that. It's not 
an extra movement. It's really letting go of that which is unnaturally clenched, unnaturally tight. So it's more a relaxation than this grand kind of dramatic effort. Letting go is letting go, and trying to get rid of is trying to get rid of. And there's a big distinction between the two. We can feel that sense of thinking that something should go sooner than it goes in its own way. You know, that sense of control, that sense of trying to get rid of. And it doesn't, there's not a sense of lightness in that. There's a sense of oppression, there's a sense of heaviness in that, of darkness, of aversion. And one can have the, one can experience the feeling tone of that. Uh, And that's a really important way to look at the distinction. Is there relaxation or is there contraction? Is there letting go, letting be, or is there a trying to get rid of something before it's ready to go on its own? And this is how we practice, is allowing things to go on their own and noticing that that extra push is actually going to make it stay around longer. You know, that's the thing. That extra little push, or you know, big push sometimes, let's be real, actually makes it stay around longer than it would naturally stay around. It's a way of feeding it. It's a way of adding to it. Mm. Our practice is to open up rather than to push anything down. We're not attempting to push anything down. Over and over again, we're attempting to open to let what is be revealed more clearly. In looking at this area of attachment to pleasure, really what we're attempting to do is care more fully with greater sensitivity for the senses. You know, really appreciating the fact that we can see and we can hear and we can think and we can feel and we can smell and we can taste and we can touch really appreciating the fact that there are these senses. And when there is an overuse or an overstimulation, uh, they're no longer in balance. There's no longer a sensitivity. There's no longer, actually, a sensitivity to pleasure or a sensitivity to a refinement because we're overstimulated. Even something like thinking, which... You know, we can think a lot. And it is the main pleasure on retreat, you know, other than food. <laughs> the main pleasure is our thoughts. Yeah. And yet, at some point or another, and, you know, it might take many more days of being on retreat to realize this, but at some point or another, we get tired. Yeah. We feel tired. Our thoughts are actually tiring. And that's not a bad moment when we begin to see that because it makes it a little bit easier to let go. Another important area of renunciation, of letting go, has to do with renouncing fantasy for reality. No, renouncing fantasy for reality. Um, the problem with fantasy is simply that it's not real. Now, there would be no other problem with it. <laughs> it would be you know, fine to get completely lost in fantasy. It's just that it isn't real. And anything that isn't real can't hold us up. Yeah? It falls down. It can't 
sustain us. And we look to it as a refuge. We look to fantasy as a refuge at times. And yet, maybe, maybe we know this, maybe each one of us knows this, that when something happens in life that is devastating, fantasy does not sustain any longer. No. When something breaks through and we find something truly terrible is happening, fantasy is no longer the refuge that we thought it was. You know, our favorite fantasies don't sustain us. Our favorite plans and excitements um, really let us down because it's not real. And so in practice, we're more and more attempting to touch that which is real rather than thinking that fantasy is a real way out so that we will have a way of sustaining ourselves so that there will be an inner steadiness with the ups and downs in life. Fantasy, of course, may be very pleasant. Um, It also may be unpleasant when we're fantasizing about something that we know we can't have. There may be a very strong feeling of it being unpleasant. And it points to an inner longing. And when we find ourselves caught in fantasy over and over again, and it's really, really oppressive and really unpleasant, it may point to a, a longing, a very important longing within that really deserves and invites our attention. Now, it's not to judge fantasy at all. There are plenty of reasons why we go there. But to look at this area of longing to see if we can notice the wound, where it comes from. You know, why do we think fantasy is so great? Why do we go to fantasy for refuge? And to see if we can come back and look at the source, to see if we can really truly bring great, kind attention to the longing without shame, without embarrassment, without guilt, touching the source of the longing, seeing why we might be prone to move into fantasy. Working with fantasies, I think, is developmental. And we don't let go of all of them at once. And we need to examine them and see for ourselves if it's worthwhile letting go of it all. Some people are constantly working with the question, why be here when I could be there? Which is an interesting question. When I, um, I worked with a, a Thai forest master um, many years ago in, um, in a Thai forest in Thailand, <laughs> <laughs> Kansas City, no, in Thailand. <laughs> and um, before I went, uh, I had heard these rumors that he could read minds. I'd heard these from this from a number of different people, the people who had given me the letters of introduction to the monastery in Cambridge. And then when I got there in Bangkok, um, he was a very well, is a very well-known um, teacher in Thailand. And one, really one of the head honchos there. And so um, I was hearing when I was in Bangkok about how he could read minds. And, you know, people talk like this and um, have all these, these kind of ideas. And who knows whether it's true or not? I have no idea. But in any case, when I got to the monastery, 
there was one particular fantasy that was going around <laughs> that I was deliberately feeding. It wasn't just going around. I was deliberately feeding it. And a very, very enticing one, um, you know, to do with a drama from home, of course. So I brought this to the monastery with me. But, you know, the reality is that a lot of my life I had spent in, in, in fantasy. So this was just the newest one. But it was a very pleasurable one. So I got to the, to the monastery, and I started, you know, sitting and walking, sitting and walking, and meeting with um, Mahabua, it was his name, Ajahn Mahabua. And I really, you know, appreciated him enormously and had a, had a very strong feeling of gratitude and love. But I also had this, this feeling of, you know, oh, no. If he can, if he can read this particular fantasy, yeah. I'm, I just really am going to be embarrassed when I go to see him. Yeah. I mean, maybe he'd understand that fantasy is fantasy, you know, you can't help and things like this, but if he actually knew the details of this one, um, you know, can I show my face? So it was very, very, very interesting because it helped me to let go. You know, it helped me to, to um, stop feeding myself with that pleasure. And it really was for me, the first time that I saw what is possible in the practice. Because it's the first time I really um, had a reason to let go of fantasy. I couldn't really get it before then. But then, you know, why? You know, every so often, okay, but, you know, all the time, it seemed too extreme to me. But when I got there, and I did it, and I was doing it all the time, and I really took it up as all the time, out of sheer shame and embarrassment, um, the practice really began to open up in a radically different way. So I gained the faith based on experience, you know, because of being in this particular situation. And I think these things are personal. You know? I think that it happens in a developmental way. We're not always ready to do it. And other times we can um, let go for a day, you know, maybe not a lifetime, but for a day. Because if we do this at some point, we really see through the whole structure of fantasy. I mean, they're not really so enjoyable anymore. They actually are not so interesting anymore, you know? which seems kind of um, absurd when one is really drawn in that direction. But it if, if we can over and over again let go when we're ready to do so, or at least for periods of time, we will see what is there. We really will see that which is a million trillion times better than anything we could concoct in our minds, than the best of fantasies, than the best of dreams, than the best of thoughts, because it's real. Yeah? And we get a chance, we allow ourselves a chance to touch that which is real and to find that not only is it sustaining, it's yummy, you know? It's a million times better than the best fantasy. But this is something that happens in its own way, in its own time. So I also think it's really important not to, um, not to uh, have a sense of shame about the fantasies that we do have or to judge them. But again, to, to take the risk at times of letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go, not just on retreat, but in our daily life. You know? To see the place that it has in our life. And then to see what opens up in the letting go what is possible in the spaciousness
another arena has to do with letting go or renouncing who we think we are. Yeah. And this is, this is happening from moment to moment, an idea, a concept about who we think we are. And oftentimes, of course, who we think we should be, where we think we're going. To over and over again, gently, lovingly let go of our opinions, gently letting go of our viewpoints, of our images, of all of our limited concepts about who we are. And we could as well, by the way, let go of our opinions about others. This would open up an awful lot of space as well to let go of our ideas and viewpoints about how other people should be. Yeah? A huge amount of space, a huge amount of openness would be there. One, um, one aspect of um, teaching at CIMC that I, Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, which is where I, I am often, or most of the time actually, uh, that I find very interesting is that people often say that it's relaxing uh, to, to be there. And I'm sure it's true here as well, because you don't have to be somebody. Now, I can work with someone for years and years and years and then find out that they, you know, developed the, the physics something or another at MIT. You know, um, they, I don't always know that because there's that relaxation about image or about occupation or about um, who, who I am. And oftentimes it's experienced as enormously relaxing to not have to be anybody, to not have to come in and present yourself in a certain way and then have to support that presentation. You know? And we don't, we don't have to be in meditation centers for this to happen. We can do it ourselves, whatever we're environment, whatever environment we're in. But experiencing the relaxation, the comfort of non-presentation, I think is one of the greater graces of practice. Of course, you really have to be into it. Um, you know, it can have its offside if you really want to be recognized. Um, I met someone some time ago who um, came in for an interview and um, said that there was somebody famous in the center. And so I said, oh, who's that? And um, the person said, me, I'm a rock star. <laughs> and then mentioned the band that they were in. And it happens to be, I, I don't, you know, I still don't recognize the band, but it happens to be a very famous band that this person was in. Um, you know, so that was the, his face kind of got very disappointed when I didn't, <laughs> didn't, let alone not recognize him, but the band either. It was kind of a real, real let, let down. But that's the downside. The upside is that, you know, he has a place to practice where he doesn't have to be mobbed by fans and, <laughs> and this and that. Hmm. Renouncing or letting go of getting particular results in practice is another arena of renunciation, one that we can be quite affixed to, quite attached to. Sitting in such a way that we're assessing our sittings from sitting to sitting. You know, how is this one? How is that one? Looking at a retreat in a linear way. Today was like this. Tomorrow will be like this because it always has to go in one direction. You know, and letting go of the attachment to results is a huge area. Understanding that whatever is happening is enough. Whatever is happening is how life is in the present moment. 
And so instead of trying to get somewhere and attain something, trying to get rid of this in order to attain that, there is a deep relaxation in being with things exactly as they are. Not trying to get rid of anything in order for there to be silence. Not trying to get rid of movement in order for there to be stillness. But really recognizing that our practice is seeing clearly, and that is what opens up everything to us. Now, there's nothing to get rid of. There's nowhere to go. It's more and more seeing things as they are. Seeing things as they are is what opens up our life. Experiencing this moment so fully and so deeply that we understand it. Not experiencing a moment 10 years from now, after we've done this and that and the other thing, but right here, and I really mean right here and right now, experiencing this moment so fully and so deeply and with our entire attention, our entire body, our entire heart, our entire mind, that we understand. We understand. aware of letting go of any sense of separation, aware of renouncing a sense of separation, aware of our reactions, whatever they may be from moment to moment, noticing when we get caught in a reaction versus being available to life, noticing when we get stuck in a particular reaction of having to have something or having to get rid of something. One of the two, usually. Having to get rid of something. Having to, in order for there to be peace. Or having to get something. Absolutely having to get something in order for there to be peace. And looking at the difference between being caught in these reactions versus being open and available and receptive to one another, available to one another in life is a very, very different thing. It really allows loving kindness to flow in a natural way without trying to make it happen. There's a natural availability that becomes possible to us. Um, Trungpa Rinpoche said something about this. He said, what the warrior, meaning the yogi, what the yogi renounces is anything in their experience that is a barrier between himself and others. In other words, renunciation is making yourself more available, more gentle, and open to others. That's really what renunciation is, is renouncing closure, you know, renouncing a sense of separation, renouncing that which seemingly divides us and keeps us away from each other and allowing, simply allowing for there to be an availability, a softness, a gentleness. Sitting is really a great form in which to see all this. It's, it's really an ideal form because we're sitting still doing nothing and we're simply observing clinging. That's really what we're doing, is we're observing clinging. We're observing um, where we get stuck. 
where we get caught, where we feel imprisoned. And as we sit, simply in noticing the clinging, there is this invitation to let go of the clinging. Because we see that we can't hang on to anything and that it really isn't us anyway. There is this interesting paradox, which is that while we're clinging, it is impossible to see inner completion, you know, because we're holding on to something in particular. We're affixing it in some particular way. We're allowing for rigidity to form around it. And so it is impossible to see inner completion. We miss it. We are absolutely missing it. It's there all the time, but we miss it because we get stuck on one particular element of life. We have to let go in order to recognize the worth of letting go. And sometimes this is a risk, because we don't know. We can't know until we let go. It's always that way. But as we let go more and more, we do develop the confidence, the faith, that letting go is actually a route to happiness, a route to peace. Um, Mahabua, the um, teacher I was just speaking about, he said, the realm of nirvana is enough. You know, in other words, that's a description of nirvana. That's a description of enlightenment, is that it's enough. So it's not something far away from us. It's here in this moment. Can this moment be enough? Can this moment be enough? More and more in letting go, we find ourselves relaxing into that comfortable, joyful place in which nothing whatsoever is happening. And we find ourselves more familiar with that place in which we don't have to entertain ourselves. We don't have to preoccupy ourselves. We don't have to worry and think that the worry is an obligation or a duty. We can let go. And when we do, we find ourselves more and more dwelling in an inner luminosity that becomes quite vivid, quite clear, quite obvious. All right, so let's just sit for a moment or two. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings know spaciousness of heart. May all beings live in love and in compassion. <laughs> 